This episode of Jason Griffin Radio is brought to you by jasongriffin.net, our big ideas blog, podcast, and subscription information all online at www.jasongriffin.net. Unfiltered enlightenment, big ideas. This is Jason Griffin Radio. Hey everybody, welcome to Jason Griffin Radio, free thinking for politics, business, and life. Glad you are with us as we launch into 2017. I want to talk about some of my 2017 resolutions on the program today, not just on a personal note, which all resolutions are, mind you, but on a note for everyone. There are patterns that I see within my terribly messed up self that are really quite symptomatic of society as a whole or in society as a whole. And maybe we can all do better on some things in the coming year. So that is coming up on the program. Uh, Obviously, we talk about business, media, politics, and life on the show. So it goes without saying that we're going to get into the politics of the day. You know, as far as Donald Trump is concerned, I guess what I want to talk about more than anything else on the show today is the need for journalists, especially liberal journalists, to sober up if they effectively want to cover this administration. It is crazy the depths that the liberal side of journalism has plunged into mentally and they just they 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 need to get themselves out of this little rut that they are quickly getting themselves into if they want to have a positive impact on journalism in general in the next four years. So that is coming up here in just a little bit. And then on the subject of media coverage, we're going to talk about Facebook. They are going to try to combat fake news. And we're going to talk about the hows of that and the importance of that here on the program today. Facebook really is the company that has to take the lead on combating fake news. There's no other company that can do it. Facebook has done everything right as a company is concerned as far as growing their audience and growing their importance. And the fake news is not their, it's it's not their fault, but they are the ones that have to do something about that. That is coming up on the show today as well. And then in business, Automation Nation. According to some, automation is the much bigger threat to jobs than China or Mexico or any other country outside of the United States. We're going to talk about where all of that leads on the show today as well. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Jason Griffin Radio Show. I came across an article in Slate the other day, and I like sites like Slate because I actually think that they offer a really good view into one side of the political spectrum, which with Slate, that is left of center. It's progressive thinking. If you're right of center and you want to understand the left, you should read things like Slate every day or Salon.com every day or Huffington Post every day. And it's it's like everything in America. They have some stuff that is just brilliant, and you'll say, gosh, I never thought about it that way before. They have some stuff that is just regurgitated crap that may be right or it may be wrong, but you know, there it is. Everybody else is covering it, so my God, we've got to cover it too. There's that. Every media publication does it. And then there's stuff that gets way into the minutiae 
And they just talk about all these technical things that only journalists talk about, only political reporters talk about, you know, like uh, what could possibly happen with uh, this Supreme Court pick? And they'll name some weird, obscure person that you've never heard of, and they'll just break it down. And you know what? If, if you're into that stuff, it's great. But my God, that's just way too out there. And then they have some stuff that's just hysterics. And the hysterics is what I want to talk about today, because it's the hysterics that are what give you clues they give you the clues about why the media has to get sober-minded if they want to cover Donald Trump as president. The article on Slate, it was from Elliot Hannon, and he's talking about Donald Trump and how he is basically hiring people partly based upon their looks. And, you know, it's basically, it's a critique of Donald Trump and the type of guy that he is. And so the article says, you know, quote, here's a shocker. Donald Trump, owner of a beauty pageant and czar of schlocky reality TV, is apparently selecting people for top government positions in part based upon their looks. And they go on to talk about how, you know, people have remarked about or Donald Trump has remarked about how he liked the cut of Mitt Romney's jib. As America's top diplomat, that's one of the reasons he was looking at him. One of the reasons he liked Mike Pence as his running mate was that he, quote, looks very good. And then uh, a real quote from a real person. Uh, Trump likes people who present themselves very well, and he's very impressed when somebody has a background of being good on television because he thinks it's a very important medium for public policy. They, they quoted Chris Ruddy from Newsmax who is a lifelong friend of Donald Trump. And he's talking about how Donald Trump likes people who present themselves well, which you would expect. And then, you know, Slate just dogs on that because Donald Trump, you know, a beauty pageant guy is picking people partly based upon their looks. And, you know, I just read this and I thought, you know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but my God, Slate, I want to tell you a secret. Nobody in any administration gets a cabinet position if they're not good on television. That's just, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that's just, that's how it works. Name somebody from Donald Trump's cabinet. Uh, you know, Loretta Lynch, the attorney general of the United States. She is a very well-qualified attorney, um, but she also does well on television. Maybe you like her politics. Maybe you don't like her politics, but you know what? She's got to sell the administration stuff on TV. That's one of the reasons why she got the job. Whether they admit it or not, that's one of the reasons why they got the job. And it's hysterics like this that are going to get the media in trouble. There was another article on Slate, and it was by Jamel Bowie. And he wrote that the same things that give us Donald Trump are the same things that gave us uh, Dylan Roof, the hate crime murderer who shot and killed nine people at a church in South Carolina. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at that article and I say, this is why, in part, we have a President Trump to begin with. It's because of articles like this. I mean, were there racist elements to Donald Trump's campaign? Of course there were. And can you draw lines if you really want to? If you want to connect the dots, can you do it? Sure. You can say that there were some racist elements to Donald Trump's campaign, and those racist elements got a certain segment of the population to vote for Donald Trump, and 
the same racist undertones that motivated those people are some of the same undertones that motivated Dylan Roof to kill people in South Carolina. I mean, you can do all of that, sure. But you can draw lines like that with everything. But you got to know where to draw the line. To suggest that Donald Trump is somehow responsible for Dylan Roof, I mean, that that you got to draw the line there. It's articles like that that give you Donald Trump's to begin with, because what you eventually wind up with is you wind up with a backlash against all of it. And you can't be effective at covering Donald Trump if you're not sober minded about it. There's a saying that I like to use, which is when everything's an outrage, nothing is. And that's where the media especially the liberal media is going to wind up. That's the situation they're going to wind up getting themselves into. It's it's the little boy crying wolf. When everything that the guy does is an absolute outrage, nothing is. And when you go way far in your critique and you start trying to say that the guy's responsible somehow, or the same elements that helped elect Donald Trump are the same things that Uh, caused the mass murder in South Carolina. Just, you know, people look at that and they say, well, of course, of course, Slate's criticizing him. What good is Slate's criticism of Donald Trump when Trump's people can say, well, these are the same people that tied him to the Dylan Roof shooting. So, uh, you know, clearly they have an agenda. What good is your coverage when, when that can be said about your reporting? It's just, it's not good at all. It's, it's not effective. It's crying wolf. When everything's an outrage, nothing is. And it's not just those examples. I mean, really, quite frankly, it's everything. It's the whole attitude that, that covered the campaign and now the transition. It's the whole attitude with which all of those things have been covered. And all of this has to get sorted out before... Donald Trump takes office. You know, do we always need to react to a tweet? Do we always need to react to a crazy statement? No, we don't have to do it. We are going to have a president who allows himself to get distracted by idiotic stuff. The media does not need to get distracted by it as well. I am sure by now you have heard the story that Barack Obama said that if he was the guy that was running again, he could win. And then Donald Trump says, no, that's not true. And I'm reading that back and forth between uh, Barack Obama and Donald Trump. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is first of all, this is a fight that just doesn't matter. It, it, It doesn't matter at all. Barack Obama can't run again, so it doesn't matter. Uh, There's no way to prove that Barack Obama could have won if he did run for a third term. So that doesn't matter. And there's no way for Donald Trump to prove that he could have beat Barack Obama because Barack Obama can't run. And so that doesn't matter. None of this matters. And yet the media is covering it. And you have to ask yourself, you know, what role would you be if you were doing this just as a person, if you were telling your friends this? Think about the media, if they weren't the media, if they weren't the news people, and it's just you going out there in in a crowd of people 
in reporting this news, you would be considered somebody who's just trying to cause trouble. If you were the one that said, hey, you know, uh, Donald Brock over here says that if he were to run for a third term, he could beat you. And then you get Donald all pissed off about it. And then Donald says, no way, that's not, that's not true. That would never happen. And then you go back over and you tell Barack, you say, hey, Barack, I just talked to Donald. And Donald said that there's no way that you could have beat him. He doesn't know what the hell you're thinking. If you were to do that, you would be, you'd be a troublemaker. And that's all you would be. You wouldn't be doing anything productive. And yet... This is big news. This is the stuff that makes headlines. Now, granted, it's the week between Christmas and New Year's when it's everything slow and anything can make a headline. But, you know, it is what it is. And hey, I don't want to totally blame the media for it yet, because until Donald Trump does take office, there really is not much action to cover. It really is just words at this point outside of cabinet picks. It's not actions yet. But when we get to an actual administration, when he's actually in office, the media needs to think long and hard about what it covers. Are we going to cover words? Are we going to cover inflammatory words just because they're inflammatory? Or are we going to cover actions? Do we have to criticize everything that we don't like with the same ferocity every time? How much should his words matter? Should all of his words matter? If the words aren't reflective of the action, but they're just inflammatory and they're just said to rile up the base, but they're not grounded in fact, do you really have to report them? You know, when Donald Trump says, I created jobs and the media says, no, that you didn't really create jobs. They were going to do that anyway and blah, blah, blah. And he says, no, that's not true. I was going to do How much of that do you have to cover? Like I said a few minutes ago, do we have to react to every tweet? Do we have to react to every crazy statement? This is the stuff that's got to get figured out. The media has got to get sober-minded about Donald Trump. The way the news media covers Donald Trump is going to be important. And I am hopeful. I am very hopeful that things can get better in 2017. We're going to talk about Facebook And we're going to talk about what they're trying to do to make news coverage better, which is combating fake news. It's an important story. We're going to talk about it as we continue. Do stay with us. This is the Jason Griffin Radio Show. Okay, welcome back to the Jason Griffin Radio Show. Politics, business, life. You know... Before we get off the uh, critique of the media, I do want to say this. You know, you try to write these stories. Seriously, you try putting out a product where any controversial fact is going to be attacked by half of the country. It's not an easy business. You try to put in an honest day's work, and then what you wind up with is half of the country tells you that you're part of the problem. I mean, it's, it's a tough deal. And I say this because I like the media business, and I think there's good people on both sides of the aisle who try to do an honest day's work. Not that there's an aisle in the media. There shouldn't be. But there are people on both sides of the political spectrum, and they try to do an honest day's work. And the interesting thing about it is the people who knock the media, and I'm talking about conservative commentators, a lot of them, you know who they are? They're media. (laughs) 
that's, that's the funny thing about it. They themselves are media. And why do these guys knock the mainstream media? It's because that they hope that by tearing them down, you will want to listen to them. And that's the funny thing about all of this. They're, they're trying to tear down that deal so that you listen to them. That's why they say it. That's their motivation. And even your crazy friends on Facebook who knock the media, I'm, I'm sure they're out there. there there's got to be a conservative friend of yours on Facebook that knocks the media or an extreme left wing crazy that knocks the media. The funny thing about those guys is their media. <laughs> they just don't realize it. They're free contributors to the world's most popular website, which is Facebook. It has millions upon millions upon millions of people reading it every single day. And these people contribute to it for absolutely free. Don't get paid a dime. And yet because these crazy people that knock the media on Facebook contribute and because you contribute and because I contribute, Facebook has visitors every day. That's what keeps people coming back. And they make millions upon millions of dollars from it. That's the funny thing. That's the crazy thing in all of this. Everybody knocks the media, but yet we are all the media. So that's just a few things for us to keep in mind when we decide to go off on tangents and knock the media. Everybody's a participant in all of this, whether they're contributing to it uh, on the mainstream media or on alternative media or on Facebook, or even if they're just consuming it. You know, why do the why does the media put these stories out there? They put them out there because people consume it. So let's just keep all of that in mind whenever we decide to um, tear down the media. Uh, Facebook, before we get too distracted, because there's a lot that we're going to cover on the uh, program today. Facebook is doing their best to try to fight fake news. And I'm sure you've heard this story by now, but I'll read you one from NPR. It basically says that providing new details about how it's trying to counter the spread of fake news on its services Facebook says it's working with fact-checking groups to identify bogus stories and to warn users if a story that they're trying to share has been reported as fake. Facebook says that it's going to let users report a possible hoax by clicking the upper right-hand corner of a post and choosing one of four reasons that they want to flag it. And it could be that you want to flag it because it's spam, or it could be that you want to flag it because it's a, quote, fake news story. And if the story is deemed false, it will be tagged with an alert message that says that it has been disputed by third-party fact-checkers. And I think that this is really, really great that Facebook is doing this uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, you have to ask yourself, why is it, how is it that fake news spreads? What's going on? How is it happening? It happens because it's spread by idiots sharing it on Facebook. And nobody's going to want to share a story that says that it's been disputed by fact checkers. Even your crazy, kooky friends are not going to want to share that story. They might share it anyway and say something bad about Facebook while they do it, but nobody's going to want to do that. And that is key. Fake news spreads because people spread it. And if Facebook encounter people spreading it or wanting to spread it, that's going to take care of a lot of the problem. And then number two, I'll say this, 
Facebook really is the social media that has to do something about this. They are the media that has the viewership. I know there's some people that are going to complain about Facebook and they're going to say that they're biased and blah, 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 blah. And we need to have a third uh, party. We need to have another competitor that is uh, out there for us to all coalesce around that allows conservative viewpoints. You know what? Look, Twitter is a competitor. Okay, they just are. Twitter is a competitor. Google Plus is a competitor. All of these things are competitors, yet they don't have the viewership that Facebook has. You have to remember, social media is like, they're like nightclubs. If your friends aren't going there, nobody else is going to go there. So as much as people complain about Facebook, they're the ones that are in a position to combat it. And they're going to be the dominant social media player for a long time to come. Facebook, glad they are doing what they're doing. We're coming up on a hard break, but do stay with us. We're going to talk about Automation Nation. According to some, the biggest threat to jobs is not China or third world countries. It is automation, and we're going to get to that. And also, New Year's resolutions. Do stay with us. This is the Jason Griffin Radio Show. Welcome back to the second half of the Jason Griffin Radio Show. I'm your uh, humble host, Jason Griffin. Glad you're with us. This is where we talk about business, politics, life, everything in between. Free thinking for free-minded individuals. And uh, glad that you are here as we ring in the new year across the world. Broadcasting across the world to people with internet connections everywhere and uh, perhaps, perhaps, maybe an underground radio station near you. You never know. Um, we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions on the show today because uh, we're getting into that. Uh, obviously, we're, we're launching into the new year and that's what we do. We talk about New Year's resolutions and uh, we're also going to talk about a very interesting article on automation Automation could be the number one killer of jobs in the United States, not China, not Mexico, not some other third world country that isn't even really on anybody's radar screen yet, just automation in general. So uh, we're going to get to that here in a minute. I did want to mention this article to you. It's from a website called Big Think, which is a cool website if you have a feed reader or, you know, one of those things you just catch the feeds and you kind of aggregate all the sites you like. You ought to look at Big Think and you ought to think about putting it in there because they have some uh, really interesting articles. And because we were just talking about Facebook, I thought that this one might be interesting as we get into 2017 and we're trying to think about being happier. And the article says, if you want to be happy in 2017, maybe you should just get off of Facebook. Facebook may be making you miserable if you are aiming to feel more satisfied in 2017, it may be time to log off the world's most popular social network. According to the Facebook experiment, quitting Facebook leads to higher levels of well-being. That's the name of the publication. It's an article that was recently published in the journal Cyber Psychology, Behavior, and Social Networking. The article says that Participants quit Facebook for a week, and the study found casual evidence that Facebook use can negatively affect our well-being. 
The big issue with Facebook use is that it offers endless opportunities for social comparison. That's the thing that everybody says is making us unhappy. And you can go to bigthink.com yourself and you can find that article and you can read more from there. So, uh, but that's the gist of it. You get off Facebook and you stop comparing yourself to everybody else and seeing how wonderful their lives are. And you will feel better as a result because you're not looking at a bunch of people who have way better lives than you are, which is, which is all a fraud, by the way. It's a fantasy. A lot of these lives that people are, that a lot of people are living, but not all of them. I mean, some people just, you know, some people just have a better life than you. And that's one of the things that as you get older and become an adult, you just have to, you know, kind of come to grips with the fact that maybe just maybe your life is not as good as somebody else's. You know, the thing for me with Facebook is not is not that. And I, I don't want to say that I never get affected by that because that would just be lying. I think that all of us do. Maybe it's subconscious. Maybe it's not. But the thing that I just bugs me about Facebook. It's kind of the slog, you know, there's just, there's predictable posts from predictable people and, and you know what they're going to post, you know, that they're going to dog Donald Trump or you know that they're going to dog Hillary Clinton and liberals. And you know that this person is going to show off about how crazy their life is. And, and then, you know, that people are going to share these stories and then, you know, you're missing out on half of the other news anyway, because Facebook just tells you what you want to hear. And just after a while, you just kind of become numb. And you're just sitting there and you're just scrolling. And my God, how long have you just been scrolling through crap? So it's on my list of New Year's resolutions myself to cut back on the social media use. It really, really is. But, you know, at the same time, you ask yourself, geez, you know, how the hell am I supposed to stay in touch with people? Because the the world has changed. The way we go about doing things has changed. It's just it's kind of expected that the minutia that maybe you would have talked to somebody about, they just post on Facebook. You're kind of expected to know it, you know, with your family. So anyway, less social media use could make you more happy in 2017. And it is, in fact, a goal of mine. So we're going to talk more about New Year's resolutions here in a minute. I wanted to get to this article from the New York Times because I think it's an important article, not just for 2017, but for the years to come. And and when you're thinking about business and where things are heading, I think that your head has to be aware of this situation. And the article is, the long-term jobs killer is not China, it's automation. The first job that Sherry Johnson, 56, lost to automation was at the local newspaper in Marietta, Georgia, where she fed paper into the printing machines and laid out pages. Later, she watched machines learn to do her job. And the article goes on to talk about how, you know, Donald Trump has told workers like her that he's going to bring back their jobs and he's going to clamp down on trade and he's going to clamp down on offshoring and he's going to clamp down on immigration. But the economists are saying that the bigger threat to jobs is going to be automation. And... Nobody really talked about this on the campaign trail. And this article points out that it's because, you know, automation is not really a villain that you can, you, you can't really make automation be the villain that you can China or Mexico. But there are a lot of technologies that are coming out that are going to take away jobs. And the biggest example 
that I can think of is the self-driving car. You've heard by now of the self-driving car. You've got Google testing it. Um, there's talks that maybe Apple wants to make a self-driving car. There's talks that maybe Uber wants to make a self-driving car. Everybody wants to be in the self-driving car business. Have you thought about what all can be put out of business or who all can be put out of business just with the self-driving car? It's just one technology. That's the key thing here. It's one technology that can put, um, we're talking millions of people out of business. Uh, long haul truck drivers out of business, taxi drivers out of business, uh, mail delivery people. You can put a lot of them out of business. The technologies are just going to improve to the point to where, you know, look, here's, here's the crazy thing. And here's really, I guess, the point that I wanted to get to in all of this. I am one of those crazy people who believes that one of these days we're going to have to have a minimum income. And it's for the very reason of automation that I think that we are going to have to have a minimum income. And I am somebody who, if you were to talk to me 10 years ago when I was younger in my 20s, I would have told you that I was a libertarian. And... I still have libertarian tendencies, I guess. I'm not a pure libertarian. I mean, for God's sake, I believe in libraries and fire departments. But I would never have been somebody that said we should have a minimum income. But, you know, at some point as a society, you kind of get everything that you need. If we have self-driving cars and we put millions of truck drivers out of business, and we put millions of taxi drivers out of business, what are those people going to go do? I mean, what do we need them to do next? Are they going to go get a job at McDonald's? What happens when a lot of that uh, fast food prep can just be done automatically? There's already kiosks in a lot of these places that cut down on the need for uh, people working the front counter. You know, how do you order your pizza now? You can just order it online. When you order a pizza online, there used to be a guy or a girl at the pizza place that was a young kid who took, their job was to answer phones. Now you get a discount if you order it online and you don't have to answer the phone. You've got self-checkout aisles at the grocery store. You've got uh, online banking. How often do you go to the bank now? 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, going to the bank, was just, it was just a normal part of things that you did. I've got to go to the bank this week. I got my paycheck. Well, your paycheck's direct deposited. I need to transfer funds from one thing to another. You just do it automatically. It's all automatic. And as people are put out of work, at some point you go, geez, are we going to have enough for everybody to do? And that's where I think that a minimum income, it's just going to have to be something that we, that we have and that we discuss and that we should be open to. I'm not afraid of automation taking jobs, but what I am worried about is millions of people not having uh, the means to support themselves because automation has taken care of everything. And, you know, some economists can dispute that and they can say that just... You're, you're going crazy down rabbit holes. The, the economy will figure it out. And you know, and you know what? Maybe it will. Um, but maybe it won't. And maybe we ought to start thinking about a minimum income. That's just some interesting food for thought. 
as we head into the new year. But you do need to be thinking about automation and you do need to be thinking about your place in the economy because there is no job that is indispensable right now, especially if you are a lower level worker. You need to be thinking about what should you be doing next? Where should you be sharpening your skills? This is not all going to happen at once. And if you are a Donald Trump supporter, I hope you th- you are thinking about what you should be doing next. Because just because Donald Trump says that he's going to save your job, it doesn't necessarily make it so. Just because Donald Trump says that he saved 500 jobs in Indiana doesn't mean that they're sending a whole bunch more overseas or that automation isn't a threat to them. So like Trump, love Trump, hate Trump, doesn't matter. Be thinking about what you are going to do next because the economy is changing. And I think that things are going to start changing faster in the next five to 10 years than maybe they had in the previous five to 10 years. So Automation could be the biggest threat to jobs, not China, not Mexico, not third world countries. So this is the 2017 kickoff show, and it would be a huge lost opportunity if we didn't talk about uh, New Year's resolutions. I'm going to give you some uh, advice on how I'm tackling my 2017 resolutions. And it's not so much a resolution, it's a change in uh, the outlook for the year. And we're going to get to that as we continue. I do hope that you will stay with us. This is the Jason Griffin Radio Show. Welcome back, Jason Griffin Radio Show. Politics, business, life, everything in between. Glad you are with us. You know, before the break, I sat there and I teased you're going to get advice from me about uh, 2017 resolutions. And holy Jesus, here you are. You actually stayed through it. That's amazing. I am uh, I am humbled and I am, I am grateful. You know, before I share thoughts from myself on the New Year, I thought I would share this. Um, and it's from Jonah Norberg who is an economics writer, and he's he's got a book that um, publications like The Guardian and The Economist have said, hey, that's a, that's a great book. So uh, I would assume that he's a smart guy. And, you know, you've, you've heard everywhere you turn, 2016, what a bummer. Oh, my God, we lost stars that we know, and uh, holy Jesus, Donald Trump, right? You know, so obviously 2016, not the year that people wanted it to be. But I thought I would share this post from Facebook from Jonah Norberg because— he lists uh, 10 other things that happened in 2016, and it's really great. Giant pandas, the symbol of endangered species, were removed from the endangered species list. The Ebola emergency that many thought would turn into a global epidemic was declared over by the World Health Organization in March. Several big, rich world health problems continue to steep decline like colon cancer, dementia, hip fractures. The Americas were declared free from measles, a disease that killed 200 million. Global Terrorism Index 2016 reported that the number of annual worldwide deaths from terrorism declined by 10%. Acidic pollution returned to almost 1930 levels. CO2 flat for a third year. Maternal deaths declined almost half of the 1990 level. Peace in Colombia means that the Americas are now a a continent of peace. 
Remaining wars in the world are a quarter as deadly as the wars in the 1980s. The World Health Organization reported that malaria deaths are down around 60% since 2000. Around 100 million people rose out of extreme poverty. So every second that you count down from midnight to on New Year's Eve, three people rise out of poverty. That's from uh, Jonah Norberg. And I don't know if he got that list from somebody else or if he came up with those on his own. I'm assuming that they're that they're his. You know, those are great things that happened in 2016. So I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm deeply sorry. I am more sorry than you can ever possibly know that Prince is dead and that we elected Donald Trump. I really am. 2016 was just a terribly, terribly bad year in so many, so many regards. But, you know, a year is what you make out of it. And I just, for me personally, I do not want to be one that wastes valuable time and mental real estate or digital real estate or podcasting airtime lamenting 2016. I get why people aren't happy. I get that we're crushed by some of the people that we lost. But, you know, I just, I can't lament the whole year because I personally know of great things that happened. There was great things that happened to me personally. There was good things that happened with my family. And I would imagine that everybody can look back at the previous year and think to themselves, you know, hey, there were a lot of good things that happened in 2016. I saw a post from a pastor friend on Facebook who pointed out, you know, it's not 2016's fault that we lost Prince. It's not. It's drugs and alcohol's fault that we lost Prince. Um, now, he didn't comment on how the hell Donald Trump happened, but, <laughs> you know, well, well, drugs and alcohol, right? Drugs and alcohol. <laughs> but seriously, I can't, I can't go back and just, you know, look back at the year and think it was all terrible because I know if personally that there was, there was good things that happened. These years are what we make of them. And the feeling that I have at the end of 2016 and now going into 2017, it's not one that is of sorrow or of grief. It's that for a lot of us, we're kind of stuck in a rut and we feel like we're at the mercy of the stormy world around us. You've got this political strife that we've been experiencing for the past several years, and it really just reared its ugly head in 2016, more than any year that I can remember previously. And I know that there's that nobody wanted that to happen, but a lot of us, and I'll include myself in this, we helped contribute to that. Um, but there's other things too. There's this sense that not all is right with the economy. You've got market forces, you've got world affairs and technology that's just causing uncertainty. We just talked about how automation could be taking a lot of jobs. You've got terrorism, you've got changing alliances. The world seems less secure than it has in previous years. You've got news and information that comes at us at a more constant pace than it ever has. And yet at the same time, you know that a lot of it can't be trusted, but you just don't know which of it you can and cannot trust. So that's the rut that we're kind of in. Um, what do we do? How do we fix it? Well, I think that part of the answer is you have to become more intentional with your own life. I have to become more intentional with my own life. I cannot control Donald Trump or China or the economy. But what I can control is, is myself. 
And so the questions that I ask myself heading into the new year are, what can I do emotionally? What can I do spiritually, physically, personally, professionally, socially? What can I do to benefit myself and my family and my community? And the answers to those questions are not going to mean anything without changes in what I consume and what I do and also what I stop doing. So, you know, for me, the list is all the regulars. It's the workout, stop eating crap, you know, be a better scheduler, be more firm with priorities, cut back on social media. I think I mentioned that earlier. Devote time for learning. That's always a good one. But the overall theme, I'm not, I'm not sharing this to share with you what I personally plan on doing for my uh, New Year's resolutions. The overall theme is not about any of those one tasks. It's about intentionality in daily affairs. It's about you being more intentional in your daily affairs, me being more intentional in my daily affairs. So if this seems like I'm encouraging you to have among your New Year's goals, uh, goals, I suppose that it is. But, um, you know, part of our problem today seems to be that while we're stuck in a rut, we're not entirely uncomfortable. We're just kind of coasting. And I think when you start feeling like like that, you start to feel restless and maybe you start to feel without purpose and neither of those are healthy. So it is time to break out of that cycle and it's time to, to uh, do big things in the year to come. So I really do hope that you have a great 2017. And I think that one of the things that you can do to have a better 2017 is to be more intentional in your own life. This is the show where we talk about politics, we talk about business, we talk about life, we talk about everything in between, and we do it with free thinking for free-minded individuals, and I really do hope that you uh, will go to our website, www.jasongriffin.net, and that you'll click on the links and become a subscriber to our podcast, you'll become a subscriber to our blog, and you'll stay with us as we head into 2017. The web address is www www.jasongriffin.net. Thanks for listening. Have a great 2017. This is the Jason Griffin Radio Show.